was a great day today. Love 804, Heights Baptist Church, coming to Petersburg on Center Street and rehabbing houses. We had, gosh, close to, I guess, 100 people. It was just very uplifting to see the transformation in just uh, the course of four hours. And these are going to be people's homes, and home ownership is an incredible thing. So we try to do projects all over the uh, area. So we just love our neighbors and want to bring the message of Jesus Christ to everyone. So I just am thrilled to be a part of it. So happy to be here and uh, meet a lot of the neighbors and a nice outpouring from them. Thank you. And so it's a great day. Amen. Love these stories adding up. Yes. Grateful for Kirk and all the ways he serves in and throughout our church, just like you, joining all of our church family and trying to be the church on our street, trying to be the church in our community. Man, don't you love our, uh, our multi-generational Sundays? You know, it's, it's not, I, I know our, our eyes are drawn to the little ones, right? But really what we're trying to develop there is not, not an older generation, not a younger generation, just all the generations together worshiping the Lord and leading us in the worship of the Lord. I'm excited today, not only do you see that happening up here, but our Midlothian campus today for the first time also had a multi-generational worship uh, time out there. So man, we're, we're in two locations, but we're one church. You walk in there, you see the heights, and it's, uh, it's exciting to know that. Man, speaking of our, our young people, this Thursday night, uh, we have our trunk or treat, 6 o'clock to 8.30. We're anticipating a great evening. I, I sure hope all of you will come and bring your kids, bring neighbors, even if you don't have kids. You know what? It's just a great time of fellowship, a great atmosphere all together as a church family as we present something, an opportunity for our community. So I hope you'll come out and walk around and, and, and enjoy the evening. Uh, we kind of are landing on a little bit of weather all the time now, every time we gather. If there was to be a, a, a rain out on Thursday, we, we will move that to Friday, November 1st, just so you can kind of plant that in the back of your mind as we move toward this Thursday. But hope you can be there and, and be a part of that. Well, today we are at our 41st message in this series. I mean, the whole entire year, I have said, we are continuing our trek through the whole Bible in 2019. I'm not going to know how to start a sermon here in a couple of weeks. I've used the same words over and over and over. Uh, today, number 41, we're in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. And next Sunday, number 42, the last one, we are going to be in one of the most, I would say the most exciting chapter in the whole Bible. Obviously, that's an opinion statement. But next Sunday in Revelation 19, we will be looking at the second coming of the Lord. And it is an awesome chapter. You don't want to miss it. And you can take that sentence however you want. You don't want to miss the second coming. And you don't want to miss next Sunday. Hey, you know, next Sunday, that's the easiest day of the year to come to church. We get our hour back. We're all going to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, I mean, if you, uh, if you just are up way too early, all dressed up, nowhere to go, remember, we have an 8 o'clock service. Come join us at that if you're up and raring to go next week. But it is, it is time change next Sunday, so keep that in mind. Today, though, Acts chapter 15. Kind of interesting to have these two messages back-to-back. -back. Looking at next week, where I just said we're going to be looking at the most exciting chapter in the Bible... And this week, looking at a story that I find sad. 
We're, we're going to see two leaders of the church, two pillars of the church, uh, two people both deeply loved by the church, and we're going we're gonna to see a conflict. And it's not going to get reconciled. It isn't where we're going to work all through this, but boy, at the end, it all turns out happy. No, it, it, it really doesn't. I, I find it very sad. Well, we'll see what you think. Look with me there, Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to begin in verse 35. Acts 15, verse 35. It says, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So we've come through already in this section of our series, we've come through 14 chapters of Acts, and it's been for the most part pretty exciting. I mean, we, we saw the birth of the church, then we saw kind of explosive, exciting growth in the church. I mean, when we see the birth in Acts chapter 2, we're talking about a hundred and something believers. But boy, time we get to chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and these are just days following chapter 2, we're talking about 5,000, we're talking about 10,000 plus believers. I mean, when I say explosive, exciting growth, what a time it was in Jerusalem. And it's also a spreading Growth, Because as we get to, to chapters 8 and chapter 9, the, the gospel, the church starts moving out of Jerusalem and it, it moves to Judea and Samaria. It moves out of Judea and Samaria in chapter 10 and, and begins to head to the, to the ends of the earth, which is what Jesus said he wanted to happen. And so it's, it's just an exciting time. Yet even in all this excitement, there's problems. I mean, that's, we live on planet earth, right? There, there's problems, there's challenges. In chapter 6 and 7, if you'll remember then, we looked at a, uh, a church-wide problem, and that got resolved, that got fixed. We, we looked at an individual, a, a problem, an attack against a person, and how that ended up. And now we come today to chapter 15, and, and believe it or not, we're kind of right back where we were in chapter 6 and 7. We have a church-wide problem, a doctrinal problem, and then we have the story I just read, an individual, a personal problem between two people. Just to kind of keep us in context, so the first 34 verses that I did not read is the church-wide problem. That's the doctrinal problem. And as the church got started, as it was born, it was an entirely Jewish church. And when they came to Christ, when they became Christ's followers, you know, they didn't think they were becoming something different. You know, you and I today, we think of Jew and Christian as two distinct religions, right? Two, two distinct faiths. I mean, we know they're close. We even have phrases like Judeo-Christian. We know they're really tight there, but they are two distinct faiths. They did not look at it like that. And if you stop and think about it, why would they? I, I'm a Jew. 
Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is the promised Jewish Messiah. Jesus is God's promise to me as a Jew. As I came to Christ, I was stepping into the fullness of my faith. The fullness of of the Jewish faith. So I would have no reason to believe that I had just left Judaism. That I had become something different. Well, with that mindset that I'm Jew, we're Jewish, was also the mindset now as the church starts to grow. It's not just growing in number. It's growing in kinds of people. They're not just Jews. They're also, by God's design, they're also Gentiles. You you and me. Those who are not Jewish. And there was an element of the church, there was an element of these Jews that believed for these new Christians to really be Christians, to really be Christ followers, they needed to convert to Judaism. That, that's what we are. We're Jews. You have to become Jewish. And, and the sign for that, the symbol, like when we enter the church here, we go through the waters of baptism. That is a, a sign that I belong to Christ. Well, in the Jewish faith, that was circumcision. So they were saying, hey, listen, if they're really going to be children of God because they're not yet, just because they've trusted in Christ, they're not yet children of God. They're not yet forgiven. They don't yet have eternal life. They have to be circumcised also. And, you know, this idea of the cross plus something, I mean, we're going to see it resolved here in just a moment But, you know, we never did actually resolve it. I mean, that's what Acts chapter 15 is about. That's what the entire letter to the Galatians is about. That's what Romans chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and a whole bunch of other passages of Scripture are telling us that it is faith in Christ alone. I don't need to add to it. It's not a work. It's not an effort that I give. It is faith in Christ. And we're still dealing with that today. Sometimes it's just on an individual basis. Sometimes, like here, it's church-wide. There's a whole element of, of the Christian church that believes in what, what is called baptismal regeneration. That means you're not really born again until you go through the waters of baptism. You, you may have trusted in Christ. You may have repented of sins, come to faith. You believe Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that, that He died on the cross for your sins. That's all we're good. You're like... In process, you're on the way, but you're not actually a child of God forgiven until you walk through those waters. Baptismal, you're born again in the waters of baptism. I, I could not disagree more with that. Now, we, we believe baptism is very important, don't we? Amen. Yeah, all right. Yeah, for a Baptist church, we, we would kind of think it's on the sign out front. <laughs> Yeah, we believe that's important. I believe it's important. I don't think it makes you a child of God. I think it is a sign that you are a child of God. I think it is a sign that you have died to self and have been raised again in a new life in Jesus Christ. I believe it's important because Jesus commanded it. If if I don't walk through the waters of baptism after professing my faith in Christ, then I'm living in disobedience. Obviously, that is an issue. Obviously, it is important. I don't believe it's what makes us believers. It's not the cross plus something else I do. It is faith in the cross, faith in Christ alone. And that's 
That's the conclusion they're going to come to here. Paul and Barnabas are going to leave Antioch. It was happening all over in the church, but Antioch is where it kind of, it kind of boiled over. And, and, and so Paul and Barnabas head back to Jerusalem. They get together with the, the apostles, the leaders there, and say, here's our problem. Man, they pray over it. They discuss it. They look at scriptures. They look at what God has shown them, and they say, it is by faith in Christ alone. And, and they send Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch with, it's like word has come from headquarters, right? And, and, and that they give that message. And then, you know what? There's a sense of unity. There, there's a sense of victory. I'm sure there's a little bit of grumbling, right? It's human nature. You know, okay, we've spoken. We've solved it. There's still one or two that was, well, that's not the way my mom and dad would have thought. I don't know about this. You know, there'll be a little bit of undercurrent. But by and large, they had an answer. And that's where we then come into our story. So Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch. They're teaching. They're ministering. And pretty soon, Paul gets the itch. Man, it's time to go. He's, he's a traveling man. He wants to get out on the road. He wants to get the show on the road, get the gospel going out there. Now, Paul and Barnabas are great, great friends. And it started, you remember, I've said every week as we've gone through Acts, that Paul was a savage a savage persecutor of the church. And, and then he got saved. So now he's saved and he comes in and says, hey, y'all, I found Jesus. And we all said, yay, Lord, that's so awesome. No, that's not what they did. Remember who he is. I mean, he comes walking in the door and they're not, I don't know if he's a believer or not. How do we know he's not just in here writing down names? I mean, they, they don't trust it. And also, folks, remember what Paul was doing. People were being executed under Paul's authority. Hundreds of people were being arrested under Paul's authority. So when he walks through the door there, there's going to be people all over this room that are going to look at him and say, he he killed my uncle. There's going to be many, many of us that are going to say, you know, a loved one of mine, a friend of mine is is in prison. I mean, Paul coming to faith in Christ didn't raise the people he had killed. Paul coming to Christ didn't open the the jail gate and out out they all came. No, they're still there. So can you imagine how they, I mean, one, they're not sure if they trust his decision. Two, I'm not sure if they care. Man, I hope you don't have somebody like that in your life. My my guess is probably more than a few of us do. We've got a, a person who's the role they've played in our life, what we've seen in them. Honestly, I could care less if they become a Christian. I'd prefer they don't. It makes it easier to hate them. And that's about how they look at Paul until, until Barnabas. Barnabas was a, a, a trusted leader, a respected leader in the church. His story kind of begins there at the end of, of Acts chapter 4. And uh, Barnabas goes and, and gets Paul, in my mind's eye, kind of puts his arm around him and says, come on, man, we're, we're going to go in together. And, and, and Paul brings Barnabas into our gathering, and then Barnabas turns and he looks at you and me, and he says, hey, guys, we love, and we forgive, and we give a second chance. Do you understand? That's who we are. That's what we do. And at that point, they, I don't know what the right word would be, kind of, <laughs> right? There's, okay, yeah, let's do that. And then there's somebody in the back grumbling. But they kind of begin to receive Paul then, except Paul's problem's not over. 
Because now he's got these kind of new friends. But remember his old friends? Paul was the leader of a hit squad. Paul was a leader of the team of people whose job was to kill or imprison you. To stop the church. Well, guess what his old friends think of him now? They feel betrayed. They feel like he's become one of the enemy. And they're like, okay, stop everything. We're not going after anybody right now. Everybody focus their attention on getting Paul until he's dead. So he's kind of got some new friends who don't really like him. He's got some old friends who want him dead. He's in a bad spot. As a matter of fact, it gets so tense and so violent that the church... You and me, we had to help Paul escape. I would imagine there was a few people say, I'll help him escape and leave. I'll show him the back door. <laughs> and, and they help Paul leave, and Paul heads to Tarsus. Tarsus is his hometown. The dating on this is a little bit tricky. There's a little bit different ideas here. I, I lean more toward the group that, that kind of sees that as he went to Tarsus, that's where he stayed for the next 10 years. 10 years he's going to be, I mean, basically at home. And I do believe, actually, that that 10 years was by God's design, part of God's plan. He had to grow. He had to learn. Now, it's funny to say Paul had to learn. Paul's like the smartest person on the planet. Paul is better with Scripture than the apostles were with the Scripture. He is brilliant. But you know what? Knowing stuff doesn't mean you know the Lord and that you're walking with the Lord. And so with the role that God was going to use Paul, I believe God kind of brought him out here alone and said, man, you got to, you got to grow with me. You got, you got to begin walking with me. And there was that time where Paul kind of came along in Christ. But after 10 years, there's a knock on the door. Guess who was there? Barnabas. Barnabas said, come on, Paul, let's get you in the game. See, Barnabas was just one of those, but he just saw value in Paul. Barnabas was the kind of person who just did that. He saw value in people. And they become great friends, great, great co-ministers in the Lord, a, a great mission team. As a matter of fact, they've already, it says they're going out again that they've already been on one missionary journey and now they're getting ready to go on a second. And so they're, they're putting their team together. And John and Barnabas says, and you don't see the word here, but we see it in other passages. Barnabas says, Hey, I want to bring my, my cousin. And they were related. He said, Oh, hey, I want to bring, I want to bring my cousin. I want to bring John Mark with us. And, and Paul says, No way. No, we're not taking him. Absolutely. He abandoned us. I don't want somebody like that on my team. I'm not, I'm not taking him out there. And, and all of a sudden, we got this picture of John Mark. He's like a coward, runs away at the first sign of, of danger. Now, you need to understand a little bit about what it's like to be on Paul's team. Paul's team is SEAL Team 6. I mean, you are all in. And here's Paul's philosophy. If you're not dead, we keep going. And so when you're on Paul's team, it's not if you get arrested. It's when you get arrested. It's when you get tortured. It's when you're run out of town. It's when they throw stuff at you. And I'm, when I say throw stuff, I'm not talking about rotten tomatoes. They're, they're throwing stones. You know, one time they, uh, Paul was in a town, they executed him. I know that sounds kind of odd to say because normally if somebody's executed, that means they're 
no longer with us, right? They're, they're dead. And I'm not saying he died and rose again, but they thought they had killed him. They, they attempted to execute him, which, by the way, just so you fully grasp Paul's mentality about life, what do you think someone looks like that the crowd has just killed? As he's laying there in the dirt, there is blood There is broken bone. There is bruises. So much so, they thought they had succeeded. We're done here. He's dead. We can't do anything more to him. And they left. And his friends come. And they scoop him up and find out Paul is still alive. Guess what he did? On to the next town. We keep going. So, before you call John Mark a coward, understand the environment That you lived in when you lived with Paul. If you're not dead, we keep going. At that point, John Mark said, you know, I think I'm going to go back and help with the apple harvest. I think think they think they need some help up there on Carter Mountain. And this this Thursday's trunk or treat, it's going to be a busy. I'm going to get back there and help out with those D. Yeah, I think I'm needed back in. He's out. Man, the the going got tough and he got going. The, The other direction. You know, and so now we are are putting this team together and we have Paul, we have Barnabas really answering the same question. Do we give them a second chance? To which Paul says, absolutely not. Now, don't hear Paul as mean. Don't hear him as ungracious, as unforgiving. I am confident. I don't know this as a fact. I am confident that Paul's mindset would have been, where can we say yes where can we put him? Where can we re-engage him? But not, he doesn't start out on SEAL Team 6. It's too dangerous. It's too scary. Our lives are on the line literally every moment. Not, not, no, not him, not, not now. And how about Barnabas? I mean, we already know what Barnabas is, is like. I, I can't help but think that Barnabas doesn't look at Paul and say, you must be outside your ever-loving mind. Are, are you kidding me? Hey, Paul, do these words ring a bell to you? We love, we forgive, we give a second chance. Hey, Paul, the only reason you're in the game is because you got a second chance. And I'm pretty sure I know who gave you that second chance. I mean, can you see where Barnabas is coming from? How this could get kind of... How can you say no? Man, hey, listen, I didn't say no to you. And it says the, the disagreement became very sharp. And you can't, you can't really fault Paul. Paul is the kind of person that says, hey man, we have to keep the work in the forefront. We have to keep the machine moving. And Barnabas is the person who reminds us it's not a machine. It's a person. We're about the person. We're, we're about people. You know, they're both right, right? They're they're both absolutely right in what they're arguing and what they're saying. And and now it says they they disagreed and they they went, they left, they they headed their own way. I find that heartbreaking. This story bothers me so much. You know, I know probably Barnabas is not a well-known name for everybody here in the room. But but man, Paul and Barnabas, they're our all-stars. They they are the team. We're We're depending on... Uh, uh, upon them. I don't want to see him get traded. I don't want to see him go to other other teams. You know, m- maybe for you sports fans out there, you can understand my, my brokenness over this story this way. Y- you know, if you've got a team that you love, a team that you follow, that's usually around a couple of favorites, right? 
I, I mean, whatever team it is, like, like in, in baseball, I'm a big fan of the Houston Astros. I'm not saying that because they're about to win the World Series. I'm just saying, since I was eight years old, I have followed the Houston Astros. And when I think of following the Astros in every generation of my life, I think of a handful, a couple of those players that were the team for me. When I was eight, nine, and ten, it was, it was Cruz and Cedeno and Watson and J.R. Richardson. And then I got a little bit older and it was Biggio and, and Bagwell. And, and of course today it's Altuve and, and Springer and, and Correa. So if I was to woke up this morning and, and I opened my paper as they won the second of the four games they're getting ready to win last night, And I see that after the game, I'd already gone to bed. I didn't even realize this happened. Correa and Altuve got in a fist fight. They got in a fist fight and they're in the the locker room and they're fighting and screaming. And they woke up this morning and they both said to the general manager, we want to be traded off the team. We don't want to want to play together. We're, We're gone. Now, what would the fan be like? By the way, y'all, some of you look confused. This is a made up story. Wow, come on, folks, work with me here. I said this is a way of understanding. I think getting their phone out. What happened? Where are they? <laughs> the Nationals are going, we'll take Altuve. <laughs> now, come on. Now. So, you know, you read, man, I don't want to see that. I, I mean, as an Astro fan, I'm crushed. Where's the general manager? Why isn't he getting in there and solving this problem? I want to see these guys reconcile. I want to see them on the field tonight. Folks, that's Paul and Barnabas. That is, that is Paul and Barnabas for our team. Man, there are all-stars. We, you know, in the beginning, it was Peter and John. It's still Peter and John. But, but Paul and Barnabas just became these huge figures in the church, especially outside of Jerusalem. And there was such an... Man, when you saw Paul and Barnabas coming, that, that's our team right there. And, and now this, they're, they're going in these, these different directions you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, I've heard a lot of preachers. As a matter of fact, about every time I've heard this story preached, I've, I've heard a lot of people look at this story and say that, that a principle of life to take from this is that sometimes we have to agree to disagree. Sometimes we, you know, it's just we have to move on. I mean, we, we, we can't stay here with this thing stuck between us. So, you know, we're just going to have to part company and, and move on. And that this is given, this story is given to us as a principle for that. I, uh, I can practically see the reality of that. Practically speaking, I, I, I would agree with that. Sometimes we just, we get something between us and, and we're not going to get over it. As a matter of fact, not only are we not going to get over it, but the fact that it's still between us, we're, we're now becoming a detriment to, to the whole. You know, because I'm not just going to live unhappy by myself. I'm going to go and get my team and I'm going to, we're going to talk it up and, and I've got hate and I've got bitterness and now we're, we're stirring up and we're causing division. I mean, practically speaking, I can see at that point and say, Hey, you know what? It's, it's time to go our separate ways. But boy, I'd be really careful about saying that that's what this passage is teaching. I'd be really careful about saying that's why God showed us this story is, is so that we would know sometimes you just have to go your own, your own separate way. 
Because as I look through the scripture and I see 1,500 years of human history and I see thousands and thousands of relationships, I've actually come to the conclusion that God expects his people to be his people. God expects his people to love each other and to forgive each other. And those are neat sounding words in church. But the reality is when you're actually loving and when you're actually forgiving in an ongoing way in a relationship, sooner or later those words cost you, don't they? Not in a fun, neat, form, fuzzy way. They cost you like, okay, this isn't my preference anymore. I mean, it costs to do that. God expects his people to be his people. And breakups and going our own way has never in the scripture been shown as a rule for life. Does something like this happen? It does. It's very rare. Folks, never make the rare your rule. Did you, did you understand that? I made that line up. I think it's really awesome. I'm proud of myself for that. Never... Make the rare, the thing that is almost never supposed to happen, don't let that become your guiding principle. Don't let that become your philosophy. I'm going to leave now and go do my own thing. Folks, this this story is not evidence of a principle. It's evidence of brokenness. We, We travel, even as a church, through a broken world. You know, as I, as I read this story, it becomes one of a, of a number of stories that remind us, and I'm, I'm not about to say something that none of us has never heard. We know this. It, it, none of us would think any differently. But I think we do forget it. And I think a lot of times our expectations of another person or our expectations of the whole really does forget the reality that nowhere does the Scripture show us the perfect church. Nowhere are we going to see that. The fact is, the reality is, for you and I, for us to be the church, to do this together, it's going to be hard. There's going to be places where it's just, it's just disagreeable. That, That is the reality. It is going to happen. And I think when we read a story like this and we realize it, I think what God, I think God intends for us to be sad. I think he intends for us to be disappointed. And I think he intends for us to leave here and think, wow, I've got to really be careful with this. I've got to treat this as precious. I've got to treat this as a treasure. I've got to be so very careful with this. You know, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they're awesome. These are, these are two awesome guys of the faith, two awesome guys in the church. Paul, as I said, Paul keeps the machine moving. Paul keeps us on task. We're all over the world today because of somebody like a Paul. And boy, we need the Barnabases because they remind us that while we're going after seven billion people, it's still about the one. You know, when you look at what they're each saying, what they're each standing behind, they're both right. You're not going to make a case for one of them being wrong. Believe me, every time I read this story, I keep waiting for God to add a verse and tell me which one is right and which was wrong and how they got it fixed. But but it's not there. And you know what? Not only in what's happening right here do we see two people who are right, but even as they do go on. Even as they do go their separate ways. I'm looking, okay, did God judge one of them? <laughs> Is one of them clearly in trouble and out of God's will? And yet they both go on to have very 
profound lives and ministries. Paul is a little bit more obvious to us because Paul's a headliner, right? I, I would put Paul, be more than happy to debate this with you, I would put Paul on a list of the top 25 people in human history that have shaped the planet we live on. I, I mean, at least one out of seven people on the planet is a Christ follower. That means they follow, they live, they spend some amount of time in the New Testament, and Paul wrote one-third of the New Testament. It is Paul who shaped our entire mentality. Now, granted, he's doing that under the command of Christ, but it's Paul that really took it practical and said, hey, listen, we're never going to be about our sweet little gathering. We're taking this thing global. Whatever we love about this, we're always thinking about how we go global. So that, that's, that's a lot of Paul. His life is, is what did that. And, and then you've got Barnabas. Now, again, Barnabas is not the headliner like Paul is. Barnabas is one of those people. Um, man, I hope you have somebody like this in your life or you've had a chance to witness them. Barnabas is never in the headlines, but he's always the person who put the person in the headlines. Does that make sense? He's, there, there's that coach, there's that teacher, that influence. You don't ever really see them, but boy, you can see just one person after another that's out there big, and they all have this common denominator. That's Barnabas. I mean, Paul, we just, I just said, Paul's one of the top 25 people who've ever lived. Who was behind Paul? I mean, at least going from Scripture, there was no greater influence in Paul's life than Barnabas. John Mark. And we, we, all we've kind of got from John Mark is that he's a coward and ran away. <laughs> Guess who was behind John Mark? Barnabas. John, Barnabas did put John Mark on his team. They did go out on a missionary journey. And, and John Mark really came into his own. So much so that one day the Apostle Peter comes walking by. And Peter says, hey, Barnabas, could I, could I have him? I'll trade players with you. <laughs> And, and, and Peter recruits John Mark onto his team. Now, of course, Peter uh, is, is, is an apostle. He's one of those that actually lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, uh, spent every moment with him for, for three years. And, and boy, as Peter and John Mark spent time together, Peter just kind of dumped all of that into John Mark's life, what it was like to live with Christ and the stories and what Jesus said and, and what Jesus did. Well, Mark, or John Mark learned so much from Peter that at some point the Holy Spirit picks up John Mark and says, I need you for something. And he gives to John Mark something that you and I have spent a lot of time in in our lives. We call it the gospel of Mark. That's, that's right. The, the, the second gospel in row there, it was the first gospel written, was written by John Mark, our, uh, who we've been talking about. On. He went from a runaway coward to a guy that's writing and giving to you and I today one of the gospels that we hold on to. And, and then guess who else comes by and says, hey, I'd like to have John Mark on my team? Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul and John Mark crossed paths. And obviously Paul saw something in him that said, I, I need that guy on my team. And that was an investment that Barnabas made in his life. John Mark became of such value to the kingdom that when Paul was about to die, he was writing in Second Timothy. Second Timothy is the last letter Paul's going to write. He writes that right before he is executed. And this time it's going to work. 
He writes that. He's in Rome. He's about to be executed. And he writes the letter to Timothy. And at the very end, 2 Timothy 4.11, he's writing Timothy and he's, he's asking him. He's asking him, hey, would you send me this, this stuff that I need? And then he says, hey, would you send John Mark? Would you, would you send John Mark? He means so much to me. Now, that's full circle, isn't it? Then you go, okay, yay, God. We, we see it come around. So you get, you get kind of excited about that. I do. But you never see Paul and Barnabas together again. Now, that doesn't technically mean they were never together again. It means the Scripture didn't record it for us. It, it means the Scripture didn't show us that. But I, I just, I can't help believe that if the Scripture chose to show us their breakup, that if that had been reconciled, if that had been worked out, it would, it, wouldn't it show us? Don't you think it would show us that coming back together? We love that full circle. We love to see victory and things work out. But it never does show us that. Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians one time, and he references Barnabas in a, in a positive way. When I say they didn't come back together, do, do not picture Paul and Barnabas the same way you and I are. I, I'm not saying Paul and Barnabas hated each other. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying they wouldn't talk to each other. I'm not saying they're out talking bad about each other. I believe they loved each other. I believe they respected each other. For whatever reason, something got between them and they just, they just could not overcome it. But they're, they, they love each other. They just, you know, I'll say it again. I, I don't think this story was put there as, as evidence of a principle that we need to live by. We, you know, we have to agree to disagree. No, that, that story is there as evidence of our brokenness. You and I, you and you... We, as we seek to follow our Christ, our Savior, as we seek to seek to love Him, exalt Him, and do His work in this world, we will do that together in a very broken place. We, we will do that through the brokenness of this earth. And I read this story, and I tell you what, folks, I close the book, and I think, boy, I, I can be ever so much more careful with this. This is precious. This is a treasure. It, it needs to be guarded. It needs to be protected. It needs to humble us. It, means, it needs to make us dependent upon the Lord. Two people can be absolutely right. And two people can lose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't, we don't want to lose. God, I pray we would be so careful, so protective of what we have here. Lord, I'm so, I'm so grateful for our church. I'm so grateful to, for the friendships that we enjoy, the friendships we see being built through the worship of the Lord. Friendships. There's people in this room right now whose friendships started on the mission field in Nicaragua or Ukraine or Zimbabwe. 
Friendships that have been, have been birthed and doing the work of the Lord together. Friendships that have come out of being in a group where, where we pray for one another, help each other, encourage each other in the Lord. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. There are so many differences in this room. So many differences with us. But we hold in common this. Our faith and our love for you, Jesus. I pray that will always be big enough for us. I pray that will always be bigger than any disagreement. As we journey through a very broken world. Thank you for what we have here and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us protect it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.